This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Frank, One Man's Struggle with Tourette. And Frank Boniface joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Frank. Hello. Well, this is your story, a story of a very frustrating lifetime, struggling with the Tourette syndrome. We'll learn more about that, but I want to warn everyone, this syndrome causes Frank to uh, just kind of yell out things, sometimes the F word and all kinds of things. He can't control it, so everyone kind of settle in and we'll... Listen to Frank's story. Uh, he says, growing up when your body and mind insist on performing things that are far from normal must be like hell on earth. And that's what you've gone through. It was first thought to be psychological. It didn't come to be a neurological, physiological until the uh, early 70s in New York. And, that's, and you were just 18 years old. When I was diagnosed correctly. Correctly. Before that, though, they just thought you were weird. They thought I was fucked up, nuts, possessed by the devil, doing it on purpose, doing it for attention, yeah. trying to make the teachers crazy. Right. You know. Right. And I was in a psych ward for almost for a good year and a half at University Hospital in Columbus. Well, explain to us, Frank, the uh, this Tourette syndrome. It comes in many different forms. Uh, tell us yeah. what you have and how others are affected as well. I have a fucking very severe case. I'm one of the most severest cases that I know of. Um, I have ticks, bar- uh, noises from my throat. I have arm jerks. I have leg jerks. I poke on people. I pinch people. I'm constantly picking on sores. I uh, sometimes... Uh, a lot of times, yell out the F word when I don't mean to, and uh, it, it's just been pure hell. I have every every symptom known to Tourette. Some Tourette people have just a mild eye blink or a throat tightening of the throat, something you really wouldn't notice. But I have every symptom the disease can throw at me. Why do you? And they come and go. They come and go. If I get rid of one symptom, another one replaces it. Why do you think you use the F word so much? That's a good question. It's been asked by the uh, Tr- National Threat Association in Ohio and Threats in Ohio, Threats in Ohio and Threats in New York, and they said it's not that we want to do it. It's, it's something, they think something in the mind, in our mind, makes us yell out the most obscene, the most forbidden, most, for, most forbidden words in the English language. Not that we think that, but they don't know why. There is no explanation. It's called coprolalia. That's the that's the medical term. Uh-huh. Coprolalia, and they think there's something in the mind in the basal ganglia that's messed up there that just causes us to shout obscenities. And you have now, no. Not con- everybody has that. Not everybody has that. And you just it just comes upon you. You have no control whatsoever. No, no, no control. And while well, I can control it for a while, fuck, it's like a hiccup. 
Huh. You can suppress it right. for a while. But then after a while, you just burst out. The more I hold it in, the worse it gets. And how old were you when this started? I was seven years old when I first, when I was first, uh, remember my first tick. It was right after I made my first communion in second grade. Fuck! I was throwing my pencil up in the air and making sounds, not, not the cussing then, but I was making sounds in my throat when I got nervous, like, uh, 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 uh. And the teachers suggested to my parents that they take me to a pediatrician. So when I was seven years old, I was seen by a pediatrician in Lyme, Ohio. He gave me a thorough neurological exam and a physical exam, and he said, there's not a fucking thing wrong with this kid. And he said to me, he said, Frankie, you don't want to be a mouse, do you? I said, no, doctor. He said, then shut up and quit making your parents upset. And then he blamed my parents for not having big, a bigger family. I was the only child. And, uh, you know, <laughs> mom and dad wanted a bigger family, but it just didn't work out. There's a, I have a sister. There's two of us. She's 10 years younger. She's free of threats. But, uh, you know, they went out and bought a hundred dollar dachshund, purebred dachshund dog for me. And six, he became my best friend. And six months later, he was killed. So it was a long time before we got another pet. But the doctor thought I was just doing it for attention. He thought I was a little spoiled brat. Hmm. Well, and, this, uh, this whole book. We went home. We went home. Second grade. All through grade school. I got. I, fuck. I had A's and B's all through my. All through school until the seventh grade. And uh, on every report card, on every quarter, from first grade to seventh grade, it said, lack sufficient self-control. And I, I can remember I would wiggle in my seat a couple of times, or I would throw a pencil up in the air. But uh, in seventh grade and eighth grade, the OCDs, which is the obsessive compulsiveness, and the ADHD, attention deficit disorder, which not every threat person has, but it's common in severe threats, that started. And those thoughts were, well, I won't repeat them. They, they were just damnable. They, 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 they about drove me crazy. I knew as a young kid I was okay. But why I was having these thoughts, God knows I, I don't know why. That's just how it started in seventh, eighth grade. It got worse. It, my freshman year, it got worse. I was a prime target for the seniors to be initiated by. I was put in a, in a great big uh, 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 canister or, a, 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 what, you know, a, a, a wheat paper mask with a lid on. Yeah, the and dumpster. And they rolled me down dumpster. three steps. Yeah. They rolled me down three steps of stairs, mm. and then they took it off, and they just laughed at me. Right. And I was depanced. I was bullied. I was mocked. I was shamed by my teachers in public. Nobody wanted nothing to do with me, and it was hell my freshman year. But then halfway through my freshman year, uh, well, no, on Good Friday of 68, our doctor thought maybe I should be seen by a blood doctor. He thought maybe there was something wrong by, with the blood. So on Good Friday of 1968, when I was in eighth grade, we took off on Good Friday. I missed all the, the services on Good Friday. I'm Catholic, a devout Catholic. 
and we went to Columbus University Hospital, and my parents stayed there for the weekend, and I was there all alone by myself all week. I was seen by every white-coated doctor in the hospital. And at the end of the week, they said, don't know why he's doing this, but they said we could perform a surgery. It would cost $100,000. They didn't tell my parents what the surgery was, but I found out later it was probably a lobotomy, which they wanted to do. Well, you know what lobotomies are, Steve. Right. Yeah, brain and, surgery. And mom and dad said, forget it. We don't have $100,000 for experimental surgery. Right. So they took me home. And that was the end of my eighth grade. And then my freshman year started. And I spent two weeks up at University Hospital. And they said I needed a psychiatrist. And our whole family needed a psychiatrist. So once a month. I take off school. My parents would take off work, and we'd go to university hospital and be questioned by every psychiatrist in the place. And finally, they said Frank needs to be hospitalized in a psychiatric ward. Scare! I was a freshman, Steve. I was fourteen, fourteen years old, thirteen, fourteen years old. Scared the hell out of me. I was on the adult ward for two weeks. They dismissed me, and they said. Uh, he's just, he's just a problem. He, we don't know what's wrong. And that went on. And, uh, in February of 60, 69, they decided I needed another psych ward. So mom and dad didn't like the psych ward, but they thought maybe these doctors can help Frank. So what do the parents do? You listen to your doctor. And they took me up to the psych ward and I was on the adult floor for about two weeks. Fuck! Well, those adults were getting shock treatments. Most of the adults had shock treatments. I was the only one that didn't have a shock treatment. And for a month, I sat, I just stayed in my room or walked the halls, and the people I would talk to were coming out of shock therapy. Well, you know what that does? You, you look like a zombie, and you act like a zombie. I was scared out of my mind. I prayed to God that he would take me to heaven. I didn't want to be here. So they sent me home. Three weeks later, mom picked me up at school. She said, they want you to go for long-term therapy. So I was on the adult floor again, and they said, no, we want him on the adolescent floor. And I was transferred to the adolescent floor in less than a week. I, I met every conceivable teenager, runaways, dope addicts, suicidals, I met every, those kids had more, more of a life, more of a, a screwed up life than people that lived to 80 have. They had every conceivable problem known to mankind, and I was thrown right in with them. And that was pure hell. For a year and a half, I was there. And, uh, it, it, you know, I, oh yeah, I, I could take stories about right. the psych board. <clears throat> I was in special care three nights in a row because of my tics, special care of isolation. And uh, I just kept to myself that I was treated horrible, horrible, horribly treated. Frank, I had a psych- uh, uh, Frank uh, how does someone recognize any of these syndromes? If someone uh, in their family, what would they look for? Um, like I said, it starts out with either small vocal tics, or an eye blink, or a throat grimace, a tightening of the throat, or um, just something unusual that's, that, that's not normal. Mm-hmm. 
And, uh, you know, I, I started out with just sounds and throwing my pencil up in the air in second grade. Yeah. And it usually starts between the years of seven and 21. It was over 21. It's not Tourette's, according to the Tourette's Association. But it, between the ages of seven and 21. And if, if, if you have it in them, then you know it's a confirmed case of Tourette's, whether they confirm it or not. So your book is a factual account of your life. You have all the medications that you've been on. Uh, yeah. Of course, all the stuff you've gone through. And, and, and this isn't a joke. I mean, it, it may sound funny at first or crazy, but this is your life. And how many have it, Frank? Uh, according to the National Tourette Association, the confirmed diagnosis cases in just in this country is 300, I think, 300 to 400,000, but they're ready, readily put, point out there's over millions in this country and in the world that haven't, that haven't been diagnosed correctly. So right so now, there's, mil- there's millions of us. Frank, what do you do? I mean, how do you live life right now? Right now, I have been fucking on disability and Medicaid since 1973, since I got out of New York. I tried different jobs. I tried part-time jobs. I tried 40-hour-a-week jobs. Too much pressure brings the ticks back. Um, right now, I work part-time for a wonderful, wonderful bank here in town, People's Bank, uh, in Coldwater here, and I'm in the mail department. And I work two to three hours a day, sometimes an hour a day. But I, I, I take care of all the mail. I go to the post office twice a day. I pick up the mail, bring it over, put it in the slots, deliver it to all the uh, you know, presidents and vice presidents and the, the rest of the bank. And uh, you know, I help out wherever I can. Hey, and I you, love it. Have you met other people with Tourette syndrome? Oh, yes. In fact, I diagnosed two people here in Mercer County with Tourette syndrome. And uh, I had a actor, Tom Noonan, you probably never heard of him, but he was in Rage and Willie. He came out in 1980 from Manhattan because he knew my roommate in New York, Orrin Palmer, who's now a doctor who has Tourette's. Orrin and I are probably the two worst ones they have ever seen. And he wanted to do a movie on Tourette's. Well, he came out for three days in November and three days in December, and he followed me all around town and talked to people and asked how it felt to be different and all this. And the, I guess his girlfriend was Susan Sarandon at the time. And that's before she became popular. Right. So he gave me her address and phone number, and I talked to her for about, a mu- for about six months, about once, once every two or three weeks. And, but I never heard from him after six months. I guess the movie just never, never, never flew. But at that time, there wasn't that much known about Tretz in 1980. There's so much known about Tretz now. And uh, one of the doctors that, that is in practice in Mercer County said, Frank, he said, I never thought fucking Tretz, fucking, fucking, fucking Tretz wasn't anything but neurological. I didn't know it was psychological when you were growing up in the 50s, 60s, and early 70s. He said, when I went to medical school to get my MD license to be a doctor, he said, Tourette's used to be psychological. And they used to tell us the horror stories of what they went through in the psychological ward. 
He said, Frank, he said, this book should be read by every doctor, every med student, and anybody thinking about going into medicine or nursing. He said, I, and two days later, he, he shook my hand in the cafeteria for 20 minutes, and the tears just rolled down his face. And two days later, he sent me a book on courage. And he said, I will never give up on myself, and I will never give up on my patients because of you, Frank Boniface. Well, good for you, Frank. Uh, amazing story, everyone. Frank Boniface, his book, F-F-F-Frank, One Man Struggle with Tourette. Frank, tell us how to get your book. Um, you can get it. You can, you can write to me. Uh, and I'll I'll send it if you send the postage, or you can order it from Author House. Uh, uh, I think you got the website, don't right. you? Right, AuthorHouse.com. AuthorHouse.com, I'm sure. www.AuthorHouse.com. I think that's the, the That's uh, correct. That's correct. And you could, uh, everyone, you could order it on any online bookseller like Amazon. Amazon, Random House, and Barnes & Noble. Right. So, I don't get that much money from Barnes & Noble, Random House, and... and uh, uh, one of the noble random house at Amazon. But what I, what I wanted to tell you is the reason I wrote the book primarily was to educate the public about the disease. And, and since 1973, you know, you don't get rich on disability. You don't you don't have a uh, uh, not that I'm starving. I'm living with my dad now, taking care of him. He'll be 88 next month. I want to get off disability, and I just want to have enough money that I can financially be secure for the rest of my life. Right. I'm going to be 59 in February. I've been on disability since I've been 19. I'm tired of it. I want to, I want to do what I want to do. I, 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 you know, not that I'm going to uh, you know, squander the money. I just want to be off disability and live a, live a life. Exactly. Well, Frank, we appreciate you being with us so much, sharing your story. And, and uh, for everyone's information, obviously, uh, the plight of those who have Tourette Syndrome. Frank Boniface. Thank you so much, Frank, for being with us on Author Talk. Okay. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Hi everybody, this is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear the latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Girlfriend It is on Tugginet. Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, with your hosts Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. This show is your chance to share, learn, laugh, and connect with other women. 
The girlfriend at principal was born out of loss. Lisa had recently had her mother pass away from cancer, and my mom um, was murdered. A man just walking into a room and started a 23-second shooting spree. I think one of the things we both realized going through those tragedies is that you can be extremely okay and be extremely sad. Check out Girlfriended.com. And then be a part of Girlfriended, the radio show, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. You know, your boyfriend or or your husband or whatever, they don't totally understand that emotional side to a woman like another woman does. And I think that's so important just to Mm -hmm. have somebody that you go, she gets me. Check out the website, girlfriended.com. Don't miss Girlfriended with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back. To Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, A Touch of Gray, and the author is Jovita Madojemu, and Jovita joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Jovita. Hello. Good to have you with us all the way from Nigeria. This is your first novel, uh, a suspense thriller, a mystery. First of all, before we find out about you, Jovita, and why you decided to write your book, let me read this about A Touch of Grey. You say, this is a tale capturing complex mix of emotions as we see the joy of finding lost love, devotion, and hatred. The book is easy to relate with and extremely engaging with a suspense that leaves you wanting the story to continue even after the book ends. So it's obviously very character-driven. I'm sure we'll find out more about the characters. But Jovita, first of all, tell us about yourself. Hmm, Okay. Um, I'm a Nigerian. I was born into a family of three girls. I... I went to school in Nigeria, all all my school levels, primary, secondary, university, and I studied accounting. But I actually found my love for writing while in secondary school. I had um, a lot of love for literature and creativity in general. I liked to sing. I liked to act roles when given the opportunity. I also liked to talk to people you know, in a gathering or one-on-one. I um, I, I consider myself a self-engaging person, meaning that I like to be by myself more often than not. That's where I get to think, I'm inspired. I get to audit certain parts of myself, I to be better. And that pretty Jovita. I can't say much more. Okay. That's about who I am. Very good. Now, tell us about why you decided to write this book. What, what was the reason that you created this plot? You said uh, what? The, the... Well, I had written about four different books, but there was something about this book that made me want to publish it first, and that's because for me it was an opportunity to document certain aspects of the university life in Nigeria, and uh, it was an opportunity to go to one of the leading universities, the University of Benin. So I would say that documenting things as it relates to the University of Benin would pretty have captured the experiences of other 
students in other universities as well. It's sort of nostalgic, you know, reading the book even after I had left school. I got to capture memories, memories of going through the school life from a freshman on campus through other levels. I explored, you know, the social life of certain kinds of people on campus. I also explored certain vices. In in all, I wanted everyone who had been through the university to be able to relate to the book and also for those who would go through the university, he gave them an opportunity to just get the glimpse of the possible things they would experience while in university. So I I considered it a documentary. I didn't want to forget it in a hurry. Yes, let's put it that way. So I had to just do this quickly and get it out there, get people to relate with it. Yeah, I'm happy I did. <laughs> the book really was influenced by my... I think it was more influenced by the friends I had on campus. I I wanted to maybe put all these special friends together in one document, which to me was my work of fiction. You know, so that that was it. That was my motivation. Okay. All that right. Was my motivation. Yeah. Now, what age group would your book appeal to? I would say that the book appeals to um, readers from the age of 13 and above. This is because I was able to present a serious tale while also skillfully weaving it with humor. And it makes it easy for the reader to get drawn into the novel, you know, and just goes on and on, even after the story ends. You, you just love the book. So every, anyone can relate to it from the age of 13 and above. And I'll say that because at age 13, uh, you are already beginning to anticipate going to tertiary institutions, so you can relate with it. And then if you have gone through tertiary institution, you can relate with it. So that's the, that's the age group, 13 and above, male and female alike. Is there any theme that you would like the readers to learn from your book? Yes, one of the major things I would like the readers to learn is the power of strong will because uh, there was a certain character, Dorinda in the book, who had to contend with secrets of the past and how it haunted her on campus. She just kept going on, even when it seemed like her life was threatened. She didn't give up, and in the book we see that she was able to overcome the odds. So the major thing I would like readers to take away is the power of strong will. It prevails over all kinds of odds, I would say. Well, let's talk about the main characters. Uh, There are four main characters. First of all, tell us about Dorinda. (laughs) Dorinda is my special character. She portrays the power of strong will and she has an unflinching strong spirit. She's strong spirited. She's witty. She 
also is a privileged student because she happens to come from a rich background. She's not one to suffer fools gladly. We see that in her relationship with um, admirers on campus who try to get her attention and she's not just interested because she's also focused. She knows what she wants and she wants to just stay on that thing she wants and get it. Dorinda also is a courageous character. When confronted with um, death at some point, we do not see her embrace death willingly, but there was a fight, and when you read the book, you see what happens. She, she, she was a strong character, very strong character. Next, uh, the character named, is it Chimmy? Mm, Chimmy. Chimmy is an orphan, an orphan who had to struggle through her first year on campus. We see her struggle with hunger, we see her struggle with money, we see her struggle through her lectures because she has too many distractions. She she is not even certain about the circumstances surrounding her birth, so this character has a lot of emotional struggle. A struggle with um, self-esteem, struggle with finances, struggle with acceptance, struggle with finding real friendship. So it's, she, she, she portrays the struggle of some average student on the campus. And then there's Otaru. Is that how you pronounce that? Otaru. Otaru is a special character also because he... He seems too good to be true. And I like the fact that I was able to represent Otaru just the way he was without any any attempt at making him less too good to be true. Let's put it that way. He he was a character who was selfless. We see the way he related with Chimmy and Campos. He could give up almost every, anything just to ensure that she was well catered for. He's a rich student on campus who isn't full of airs and graces, but he's just about helping the other person. And I wanted people to know that there are a few people who are like that. There are not so many out there, but there are real good people who don't want anything in return. They just want to help the other person because they are so full of love and they want to share that love and ensure that their love gets to heal the other person who is hurting out there. And that's the character that um, Otaru is, is a protagonist. And then the other character, one of these main four characters, and how do you pronounce that name? Osagi. Osagi. Yes. Tell, about, <laughs> tell us about Osagi. Osagi is the antagonist whose very essence drives the substance and the story. I could say that he was the major character, even though we didn't see much of him in the novel, because much of the twists and turns in the story that unfolds was driven by his vengeance mission. So he is the major antagonist in the novel, A Touch of Grey. We see his um, mind play in certain monologue captured at different instances 
in the book. Osagi was the character who built or who, who, who underpinned the suspense in the story and the book. What would you say makes your book different uh, than other novels with a similar kind of plot? Okay, well, the absolute suspense in the book, it, it, it's um, intricately woven with friendship, murder, betrayal, and it's done in such a way that the reader can never predict the outcome. You, one minute you think it's a book of love, the next minute there's something else coming it's just a perfect blend, a mix that is rare. I, I would say it's quite rare because I've read similar books, but it stands out because of the, um, the the subjects that are mixed together so intricately, the mother, the friendship, the betrayal, all of it. Your story is described as real, compelling, uh, witty, what would you say was the most challenging part about writing the book? Mm, uh, I was trying very hard not to lose track of all the twists and turns because when I started out writing the book, I had an end in mind, but I didn't want to get it too fast. So I began to introduce certain twists and turns, and um, it was challenging Try not to lose track and trying to ensure that I didn't bore the reader at any point in time. So that was the challenge, trying to keep a control of the twists, the turns, and um, all the suspense, trying it all neatly together. That was my major challenge in writing the book. Tell us how to get your book. You can order my book on my website, www.jovitamadojemu.com, or you could order it from AuthorHouse, www.authorhouse.com. You can also get it on Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, Waterstones.com, etc. The title of the book is A Touch of Grey. Jovita, thanks so much for being with us on Author Talk. Thank you. I'm so glad. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Have you been laid off, fired, downsized, right-sized, or re-engineered out of a job? Are you unemployed or anticipate that possibility? Then tune in for Successfully Unemployed, hosted by Alan Sherwood, MBA, president of Sherwood Consulting Service. Successfully Unemployed will provide you a hope-filled and comprehensive approach to the job search process from an author who's experienced it all. Alan and his guests will cover all dimensions of a job search, physical tasks, mental attitude, emotional health, even one spiritual perspective. All must be integrated in order for a person to be successfully unemployed so they can then be successfully employed. This show is designed to help you move forward from job loss to finding or creating more fulfilling work. For more on Alan Sherwood, MBA, and the show, check out his website, SuccessfullyUnemployed.com. Then join us for Successfully Unemployed with Alan Sherwood, MBA. Thursday nights at 8, 7 Central here on Toginet.com. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Be here for Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. 
Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Trisha will dig deep into topics that matter most to women, inspiring women to make a change in their own lives and to make a difference in the world and maybe even deep within their own hearts. Trisha is a wife, mom, speaker, family expert, and author of 24 books. For more information on Trisha and Living Inspired, go to her website, trishagoyer.com. That's T-R-I-C-I-A-G-O-Y-E-R.com. Trisha's vision is to be the voice of hope and possibility for women of all ages. Her intention is to serve ordinary women by encouraging extraordinary things with God's help. Trisha expresses real life, real hope for real women. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, David Sunshine, a novel of the communications industry, and the author is Moreau Wilson, and Moreau joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Moreau. How are you? Well, great, and uh, quite a quite a tale about the TV industry back in the so-called golden age, of course. Uh, but this is what you say. I'll just read a few things before we find out more about you. David Sunshine is a novel about the communications industry, which shows that in the communication industry, there is very little communication. <laughs> And no other book gives an accurate history of how it was to work in the TV industry at a time when it was declining from its golden age to a much more cynical business, while at the same time telling an entertaining, sometimes funny, sometimes heartbreaking adventure story. So you've had a a lot of experiences through the years in TV and on the stage. Uh, Tell us about yourself, Moreau, and why you decided to do this. Well, I had uh, written the book, uh, actually, uh, really based on experience that I had had, because the hero of this book is a uh, a blonde, blue-eyed, broad-shouldered college football hero who comes out of a little town in Arkansas and goes up to uh, the big city in New York to try to make his name and fame in the television industry. And he's, of course, an innocent compared, has no idea what he's going to get into. And, uh, And he... He, uh, this is a period in, it, it, which is pre-PBS. Uh, 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 there's not a lot of quality television, but there's one producer named David Sunshine who everybody thinks is the great hope of the future of quality television. And he's a guy who's written up in the New York Times, and he's profiled in the New Yorker. And this guy is just supposed to be the, uh, the thing that's going to make television wonderful, uh, going to continue the golden age. And... Uh, uh, and uh, this fellow, as I said, his name David David Sunshine. Well, um, my first job out of college uh, was working for a fellow who was very highly thought of as the great hope of the future of television and written up in the Times and in the New Yorker, uh, and his name was David Suskind. And so uh, there is a certain parallel to the adventures of, of, of my young hero, uh, who is a, 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 a wide-eyed, gullible, innocent fella, and uh, the postgraduate education that he receives. 
Well, I think most people are fascinated with TV, especially when you go back to that period of the 50s and 60s. Uh, it was uh, incredible, the talent that was uh, on the air. Uh, but boy, behind the scenes, is that what you're trying to tell, the real story behind the scenes? There, well, there, 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 I think that's a fair thing to say, that, that of course, it's always interesting to be, uh, to be behind the scenes. And in those days, it was, it, you know, it was not like it is, it is now. I mean, television has, has altered immensely. In those days, television was rather a second-class citizen. Uh, I remember uh, uh, going to, uh, to uh, my boss and saying, listen, let, let's do this. Let's, let's, let's get Marlon Brando on the, on the uh and, and he said, you can't get Marlon Brando. He'll never appear on television. Uh, or, or you, you know, and, and I would say, oh, yeah, I can get him too. And, you know, and, uh, and, and so as a matter of fact, we, we happened to do that. Uh, we, we had Harry Truman. Uh, uh, we had Nikita Khrushchev at one point. I mean, it was, it was quite, uh, uh, nowadays, uh, everybody does television and, 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 uh, and nobody thinks twice about it. But in those days, it was, it was very hard to, 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 to do. So now, so that was interesting. Uh, uh, but I, I, I think the thing I, I, I want to say about this, uh, this book is that although it is set in the, in the sixties, and I call it, uh, uh, I would call it a TV in the age of mad men, uh, and, and there is a certain interest in, in, in that, that period of the, of the sixties. Uh, and, and this book is, is, is very accurate in, in, in that because I was, I was there. Uh, the, uh, the fact of the matter is the problem, uh, the, the big problem that the book talks about is can somebody, um, uh, realize the American dream in the sense that, that he comes um, um, innocent and, and, and bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and uh, with the best intentions in the world and wants to get into this, uh, this wonderful uh, uh, phenomenon called television, uh, can he do it? And, uh, and, and, and are there compromises that have to be made? Uh, or can he do it without making compromises? Can you make a strong contribution to uh, 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 TV uh, and therefore to to American culture in this day and age. So I, I and and which of course leads leads to an even more abstract question, which is: Do we still have heroes, and do we still behave heroically, and how? If we if we do, uh, 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 the answer to both those questions is yes. Well, then what uh, uh, what's the result? You'll see. So it's innocence versus egotism. Uh, very, very much so. Uh, it's 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 a it's a uh, a guy uh, walking to an office, uh, uh, sitting down for his for his interview with this fellow that he has no reason to do anything but admire, and having the guy uh, say to him, "Listen, this whole business is con. I'm a con artist. Uh, the producer's a con artist. You better learn to be a con artist if you want to succeed in this in this in this field." Uh, and this is, of course, not something that that the hero of any book is going to is going to want to do. So uh, you get what you get is uh, an extreme uh, series of of, of 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 conflicts. I mean, even even to the point where one uh, uh, after one show, the uh, uh, this talk show host, this uh, who, this producer who's also a talk show host, uh, comes off and uh, uh, and and says. Uh, uh, I, did I talk too much with my hands? Did I use my hands too much? 
and, uh, and, and and the hero says, yes, as a matter of fact, you did. Uh, you, you really just were using your hands all the time. You don't want to do that. That's very bad, uh, as you said. And the guy and the guy says, well, yeah, it's so bad. Really, it's me. You know, after all, I'm kind of wonderful, and whether I use my hands or not is not important because it's just me. Uh, to which my my um, feckless hero replies, "Well, I, I, I wouldn't let that stand in your way of changing it." So, so that, <laughs> that that kind of you know, that, that kind of behavior can get you in, uh, in in a lot of hot water pretty quickly. And this and this guy. Um, uh, you know, has in mind that, that, well, no, everyone wants to make shows better. So if this guy says he wants uh, to be told when he's talking too much with his hands, then um, uh, I'm going to tell him, you know. And if he says, well, I, 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 it's okay, I'm going to tell him it's not okay, and he's got to fix it. So that's that's uh, um, that leads to a certain amount of comedy in this thing. I mean, I, if if I had to if I had to say, you, you know, what kind of novelist of, uh, I am. I would I would say well it, it, it's kind of uh, walking that narrow tightrope between the the Dickens sort of, of 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 novelist who has very broad stroke characters you know very colorful characters and uh, the Mark Twain kind of novelist who sees the humor in in the way uh, people behave uh, uh, with each other and, and so that's that's that uh, the, that's very important in this book too. Because you have characters, you say, who range from fragile to beautiful to cruel to eccentric to ridiculous. That's, oh, that's TV. <laughs> that's, that's TV. As all of us who, we don't have to be in it to know that. We can see it every day. You, you know, you've got some of the strangest people on there and some of the nicest. And, uh, you know, I remember once somebody, somebody uh, asked Jane Meadows, who was married to Steve Allen, who, of course, was the original. Yeah, the uh, king, uh, the king at one time. But that's right. He, he was yeah. the first guy on The Tonight Show and the first the host of The Tonight Show. And somebody said to Jane, uh, would it have done, uh, uh, would, would he have gotten further if he'd not been so much of a nice guy? And she said, well, where do you want him to get? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he'd been pretty successful. Meanwhile, there are other people who think that, you know, they've got to claw and scratch and cut throats and, you know, step on toes. And, and, and that's how you get places. Uh, and uh, there are people competing in both camps, by the, by the way. I, uh, it's a little bit a matter of temperament. Uh, uh, you know, both, both sides, uh, both kinds succeed and both kinds fail. So it's okay to be idealistic in this fantasy world. Well, I, I, in my estimation, I, I, I think that the, the, the work of, of the true work of, of, of television is, uh, as it is of any any public art, is to try to see things as clearly as possible and to tell the, the truth. Uh, I mean, if you're if you're a newsman um, uh, and and and. Uh, which is a terribly important job, you know, you, you've got to bring the right message to your viewers. Uh, uh, and, and I think that's, you know, that's something that, that the best of, of, of them uh, strive for. And, and I would say that's, that's true as producers. Um, that's, that's, that's true in, in, in all sorts of fields. Now, there are plenty, I mean, in all sorts of areas, but, but there are plenty of people, God knows, who are going to do um, terrible shows, 
uh, have no conscience about that. They're going to, you know, you're just going to say this is the worst show I've ever seen. And that person is going to continue to do shows because they make money. And there's always that, that, that heavy duty conflict between, um, yeah, this is all very nice and artistic and everything, but the ratings are lousy, so we're going to cancel your show. Uh, and someone can say, well, this show really stinks. And someone will say, yeah, but look at the ratings. We're making a fortune here, so let's keep it on the air. Sure. And that's one of that's one of the problems that has stayed with us, even even with the cable revolution, which which uh, is now well, you know, started in the 1980s. Well, as Howard Beale said, a network will tell you anything you want to hear, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, that that's <laughs> that's 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 right. And and a lot of times, however, we tell people things that they don't don't want to hear. Well. <laughs> So is there today is, you know, as you look at this time of the early days of TV, you look at today, is it uh, is it possible to break into TV like you were able to back then? Yeah, I think it I think it's entirely possible. And, and I think I think it's it's changed. It's a much bigger machine now than it used to be. Uh, I mean, I, I it amazes me when Dr. Phil will, will will brag upon occasion that he has a staff of 300, you know, putting together his show. Now his show's a daily show, which is a which is a, a one thing. Ours was a weekly show, but it was put together by a by David, uh, a producer. Uh, uh, a secretary and me, and <laughs> and we would be we would be we would broadcast on Sunday nights, and very often on the following Monday, on the front page of the New York Times, above the fold, there would be a report on what we had done. So mm. it, it's um, it's a much more um, uh, it, it's gotten bigger, it's gotten more prosperous, and it's gotten uh, in, in in a lot of ways much more unwieldy than it used to be. So, is there any romance in David Sunshine? Well, there. If, if uh, well, there, there, there are two sorts of romances. There's, there's the romance of, uh, of the guy who decides that he's going to conquer the world, and let's see what happens to him when that happens. You know, that's that's the romance of the hero. And then, of course, there's there's a there is a love story because because what ha- what happens is a hero does does fall for a, a, an absolutely beautiful woman who uh, is is uh, uh, working at the same uh, sort of entry level that that he is and she goes on to uh, find herself uh, very badly hurt by becoming in- involved with uh, uh, the guy who is the president of, of, of one of the major networks and who is a, a, a bit of a, a womanizer and a troublemaker and who eventually uh, eventually gets fired but not before he breaks her heart. So, so there, and, and, and how, uh, you know, the hero, uh, who is in love with her, uh, picks her up and, and, and comforts her and deals with that is, is, uh, is certainly, uh, a part of it. So they, and, and that's what I mean when I say that, that I think that, that in some ways it's, it's excruciatingly funny and in other ways it's just profoundly heartbreaking. Because there are all these things going on, as there are in any good novel, um, uh, there is there are just different different levels. Well, it's best described David Sunshine as a comedy of substance. So oh, that's an you. interesting well, that's, phrase. 
That, that's well. Those are those are kind words. That, that's right. Because what I don't want to say, I say I, I would like to tread the line between being a humorist and being, and, and you know, no one thinks of of, of 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 Huckleberry Finn as not a serious novel. Nobody thinks of, of Dickens' work as not serious. But on the other hand, there's just a tremendous amount of of laughs to be gotten out of the craziness of of, of the situations and uh, and the eccentricities of of the. Uh, Various characters, and that's and that's of course the, the that's the goal here, you know, so that so that you don't just uh, so you're not just getting a story about well this happened because the, you know who really in, in a certain way there's not a big readership for what happened in 1960 in 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 in, in, in television. This is this has got to be a much more uh, uh, universal story than that, you see, and 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 that's the goal anyway. I I, I don't want to exactly claim. Um, uh, that I'm on the Pantheon with Mark Twain and Charles But, but human nature to its extremes, because exactly the right. TV industry exactly. is extreme. <laughs> exactly, and of course the tension, the pressure, and, sure. and, 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 we, and, and we all can see it, and I think you, you, you know it very well. Uh, uh, that all brings out uh, uh, all the qualities of human nature, the best and the worst, and mm-hmm. a, a lot of them uh, in between that, that, that we didn't even realize were there. The best of times and the worst of times. That's exactly so. <laughs> We've been listening to Moreau Wilson. He is the author of his book, David Sunshine, a novel of the communications industry. Moreau, tell us how to get your book. Well, uh, it's, it's now available all over the place. Uh, Barnes & Noble is one. Uh, Amazon is another. Uh, you know, fine bookstores everywhere. My, my understanding is that it is... Uh, uh, if it's not out in Kindle now, it will be by the time uh, by the time we finish this interview. So uh, hardcover, softcover, uh, and, and and Kindle, and uh, we'll uh, 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 so so it's it's a perfectly available book, uh, and uh, we'll see we'll see what happens. We haven't we haven't yet gotten any reviews because it's so it's so brand new, but uh, I, I I hope I hope that uh, it will be exciting to to. Uh, uh, you know, to as they say, children of all ages. So that's that's. that's <laughs> I hope that answers your question. <laughs> well, thank you for being with us on Author Talk. Thank you, my dear friend. This is wonderful. <laughs>